0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Alright, come on back, find your seats. As you are, look up at the screen. And you can see we're starting a new series. It's called Suckers. Let's do a let's do a participation thing. Who likes suckers? Okay. Oh, even some adults like suckers. Okay. And then how many mums like suckers? you You do? How many moms like their kids having suckers? Okay. How many volunteers that clean up after church like sucker sticks? Anyone? Oh no one. <laughs> At this church, we like we have someone that likes to give the suckers out to the kids, and that's amazing. It's awesome. Suckers are a really cool thing. That's actually a lollipop, but I think it's kind of the same thing, right? It's just a massive sucker. and it's colorful and it's pretty. And it makes you think happy thoughts when you see those colours all mesh together. So, we've titled this, this series, this, we're, we're going to start a fourth part series today, we've entitled it Suckers. And the picture doesn't really match with what we're going to be talking about, because what we're actually talking about is something that's not really as colourful and it's not really always as happy. So. You know when you take a sucker and it looks really pretty, you pull it out of the package, unless it got broke during transport, which sucks, feels like it's already starting as a train wreck, but then you take it out and as you start to, something like this with multiple colours, as you start to lick it down and it gets smaller and smaller, it gets way less pretty and it starts to get really sticky and messy unless you're really careful about it, but if your kids are like my kids, it gets kind of everywhere. Our girls have been doing a lemonade stand and I just keep finding like weird spots in our house that have like little lemonade juice dried up patches like where I just step and I'm like, ah, oh, there's another one. It's kind of the same thing with suckers, especially with those younger kids that haven't really got their saliva glands under control just yet or, or at least how to keep their mouth closed and the suckers going in and out and somehow it's, you know, you become skilled at being able to keep the sweet saliva in your mouth and when you want to pull the sucker out. But it gets, it takes time. And in between, it just kind of gets messy. And then a lot of times suckers just start to get ugly. When they've got multiple colors, it just kind of starts to blend. And you know what happens when you put every color together? What color does it make? Incorrect, it actually makes white. But if you put all the colors of a lollipop together, it makes brown, okay? So this, it turns into this like really ugly, messy thing And, uh, Nita was telling me about one of her cousins that was, had one of those long ones that was like a candy cane pole, but it was long and there was just like a, it's just like a stick. It was like a candy lollipop stick. And he had started to, to, uh, to shape this thing with his tongue slowly over time until it became a really pointy object, which he thought was really cool. I don't know how many of you have, like, licked a lollipop until it became like a razor blade and all of a sudden you're tasting bud and you're like, what just happened? I just cut myself on candy. So anyways, he had this awesome looking little spear and then while he had it in his mouth, someone hit him in the back of the head with a pillow. Stabbed him in the back of the throat. I can tell you that that was no longer a cool way to eat candy, I guarantee you. And he's always been a little off ever since then, honestly. Right, Jana? (laughs) I think he's been a little off ever since that was a joke. You guys could laugh. He's fine. He's, he, uh, he's a contributing man, member of society. He's fine. So anyways, so suckers, they can become something that gets worn down. They can become something that gets much less colorful. And they can get sharp and they can even hurt people. What we're actually talking about is the concept of life suckers. People who suck the life out of you. Does anybody know someone like that? Don't point at them, but do you know someone like that? That's a friend that you're trying to pour into, but when you're done having coffee with them, you're just at the point where you need to like, I don't know, go to Disneyland, like just to recover. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's people like that, that you need to go to the happiest place on earth just to get you back out of the depths that they've pulled you into. And you're like, my life's not that bad. How did they pull me into that? And these are the type of people we're talking about. In fact, what we're talking about in specific is how do we love these types of people. And I guarantee you that in, these, in this four-part series that you will identify with either being one of these people. That might, be, that might be you, and that's fine. Or you might be someone that is trying to deal with and love someone through uh, these four different things. So the four different, it's a four-part series. And I think we have a, okay, so this is what we're doing. Um, so next week we'll be uh, doing loving critical people. How, you probably know some critical people, maybe your boss or maybe your mother-in-law. Okay, so on to number three: we're loving needy people. You all know needy people. I guarantee you, someone is just trying to get something from you. And whenever you, whenever you give them something or give them some of your time, they just need more. Loving needy people. And lastly, we're going to be talking about loving hypocritical people. And uh, and I know that that you've come across that, especially in church circles, where it's like someone says one thing and they do another, and how do we love them? How, do, we, do we have a, a role, if at all, in, in helping them come to find what Jesus wants them to do in their lives? This week, we're going to be talking about loving, controlling people. Does anybody know a controlling p- person? You can put up your hand. It's okay. It's a safe place. They will not hit you. Okay. Yeah, you know some controlling people? So if your hand went up and someone else's hand pulled you down, that was the controlling person. That was who we were talking about. Don't raise your hand. So you might have a controlling spouse if that just happened to you. Um, how many of you, let's, just, let's put it in the, the modern vernacular, how many of you know a control freak? You, you've heard of a, the, that term, control freak, and it's not really a very nice term, but it's become something that you can just say, and someone will even say it about themselves. I'm a bit of a control freak. And, uh, and those people that would pull your hand down during a participatory opportunity in church would be those control freaks. Un- unfortunately, though, it's kind of laughable, but there's, there's a place in society where these relationships actually really do genuinely hurt people. Uh, where I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have been hurt by controlling people, people who want to excise their will on your life. And somehow they kind of... Do it sometimes. All of a sudden, you're doing something you didn't want to be doing. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're going to a function that you were like, I absolutely do not want to go to that. You have the conversation with them, like, I guess it won't be that bad. I'll just get through it. It's like, what just happened? They just, they just, they just made the decision for me. And maybe the, maybe those people would be an authority figure. Obviously, you have a boss who wants to. Uh, have control over you. Obviously, there's going to be some control that's healthy, but maybe you have an authority figure that's been abusing power. And you know what? Most often, I don't think that those people are trying to be mal- malicious. They're not intentionally trying to hurt you, but most often, they're, they're hurting people, and they're afraid people, and they're insecure people. And they can become what some people would call an emotional black hole, so it just seems like it just sucks the emotions out of you. And it kind of leaves you feeling tired after having a conversation with them or spending a weekend with them. Um, if they don't get what they want, so these are, you can look around and say, okay, yeah, I know who these people are. But if they, don't, if they don't get what they want, they might pout. Even if they're an adult, they might still pout. Often I've seen this happen. They might stomp if they're an adult. Pfft, not really, but once in a while, you get one of those that's really out there who's a stomper. Uh, they might whine, might complain. Complaining is rampant in our society. I don't know if that's true of you, but I, d- I work in and amongst a lot of Christian people, and the complaining is just insane. It's like, what are you complaining about? Sometimes you've got to give them like, a dose of a reality to be like, yeah, well, dude, some people are just deciding whether or not they're going to go to church today and get shot at. They're not dealing with this really, really tough cold you're going through, but they're wondering if they're going to get killed at church today. You've got to give them a dose of reality sometimes. Um, th- th- this is some other things that they would do. They would threaten, uh, whether it's, whether it's uh, on purpose or not. Silent treatment, walk away, or a term that has been used in our society to describe these people are pe- I feel like whenever I'm around them, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. So, you can kind of understand what that means. It's like you have to tread very lightly, otherwise something's going to break. If you're thinking of someone, please do not point at them because It'll make this message much more awkward for you, them, most likely me, okay? Don't point at these people, just think about them and, and grit your hand. Squeeze your hand. Let's start by building a foundation. What are the weapons that controllers have? Controllers have two weapons that they use, and, uh, and it, it comes out in different ways, but the two major, control, uh, major weapons that a controller has are number one, threats, and number two, guilt. So, a threat would be like, uh, you better do it or you're going to regret it. Um, You better perform or you're going to be punished. You know, maybe we'll reduce your wages. Maybe we'll just fire you. Um, If you don't, there's going to be some kind of repercussion that's not going to be very nice for you. That's a threat. Uh, A boyfriend breaks up with his girlfriend if she won't do something that he wants her to do. uh, A boss would terrify you by saying, man, you had not a great day yesterday and... You put in eight hours, and honestly, this today, if you don't, if you don't do any better, we're just going to pay you four. So um, you feel like you're always on edge. Uh, another common one in our society, I think, I hope not in the church, but I think maybe more often than we do think, is spouses threatening, threatening to leave, to say, I'm just going to play the big, you know, the big card and just say, if this doesn't change, I'm just going to have to leave. And uh, my wife and I don't use that in our marriage. I would encourage you never to use that in your marriage. But that's a big threat that people use to get what they want. And then the second weapon is, is guilt. All, after all I've done for you, have you ever heard that from someone? Who, after all that I've done for you, you won't do this one thing for me. And they forget about all the things that you already have done for them and that relationship is a give-take. But they take everything they've ever done for you and put it on top of one small thing that they need you to do because they really want it done. That's guilt. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like we're really close friends, but I guess I just can't count on you. You're not going to help me move? Okay, well, I guess I know where we stand in our relationship. I guess, I guess we're not really that, as good of friends as I thought. That is guilt. So threats and guilt, that's what we're talking about today. And in, I'm only going to work out of one passage of Scripture today. It's in Matthew 16, and it's a story about Jesus and Peter. And I think that if you were a disciple of the Christ, that you would you would more than often just allow Jesus to take control. If you had Jesus walking with you in the flesh, you believed that he was sent from God, he was the Messiah, that he had come to save the world, I feel like you would just kind of take the back seat and let him drive but uh, in multiple cases the disciples kind of tried to grab control and I don't know if some of these disciples were the same age or younger than Jesus I actually don't I never studied that so I don't really know but what I do know is that there was a deference to Jesus because of who he was and then in certain situations they were like "Ah, Jesus I got this one I know what we should do here Okay, and so this is one of these cases in Matthew 16, and Jesus was explaining to his di- disciples that he was going to have to suffer, and he was going to have to give his life, and then he was going to have to be raised back to life. And, uh, and then Peter, trying to do what was right, and maybe even just being defensive of this of this this Messiah that had come down and had taken him under his wing and had loved him like no other person had ever loved him. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe he was just being defensive. He decided to take control and said, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. So Jesus, who only speaks truth, who has never lied in his whole life, who has only done good, says this is what's going to happen. Um, they, they would have understood that he had prophetic ability. He had multiple times proved it. But no, Peter says no, that's not going to happen. So let's read it. And start, uh, Matthew 16, starting in 22. Peter took him aside and began to rep- reprimand or correct him for saying such things. He said, heaven forbid, Lord. Heaven forbid this, Jesus. This thing that you said. This will never happen to you. This is what controlling and another word for it, maybe you've heard more often as manipulating people do. So if you see in, in verse 22, it says, but Peter took him aside. So Jesus is trying to have a conversation with 12 disciples, and you can imagine what it would be like for like Jesus to kind of grab him and be like, I'm taking you away from everyone, Jesus, because I'm going I'm to teach you a lesson. This is, this is how this is going to go. It's not actually going to the way he said. So that's a, that's a common thing that a controlling person would do. They would remove you, from the crowd. They would isolate you so that they can have a conversation with you without outside influence in an attempt to change your mind or to control your decisions, to attempt to oppose their will upon you. And then so Jesus turned to Peter and he said, I I just feel like Jesus was almost not listening. You know what I mean? It's like getting pulled in. It's like Jesus had to turn to him. It's like Peter was like grabbing him, pulling him, just like So I can actually maybe envision that Peter was literally behind him when he said this. He said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So today we're going to talk about how do we love those who are trying to control, who are trying to manipulate us. And from this story, there's an example that Jesus lays out for us on what we can do in these situations. And today we're going to call them the three no's. Okay? The three no's. And it's not the 3 NO's, It's the three K-N-O-W's. Okay? The three no's. And the first thing, that, the first no that we need to know, that you need to know, is that to know what you're called to do. You need to know what you're called to do. So I just, I just put this thought into your mind. What is it? What are you supposed to do? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. Is, the, is it right there? What am I doing? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it, I mean, it depends on if you did your devotion this morning. You probably will have a good answer. But what are you called to do? Jesus made his calling very clear. He said that he came to, to seek and to save the lost. And he said he came for those that are sick and not those that are healthy. So he was actually specific about who he was coming for. And he said he came to be served, or to, sorry, he came to serve not to be served. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he, he, he knew that he had to be killed. He didn't really even like it. He said, but my, not, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And then he knew that he was going to be raised to death, raised from death, raised to life. This is Jesus calling, it's his purpose. For you to love controlling people, the important thing that you need to do is, is first of all, define what you're called to do. And if you don't know, I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit is like hovering, waiting, wanting to talk to you about it. Um, I think that our purpose, we sometimes think, needs to be very grandiose. It's like, uh, yeah, I just there's got to be something major, like missionary to Uganda, is that it? no it just it doesn't really feel right, right or like uh, I feel like the Lord is calling me to, to he's calling me to cure cancer and so that's, that's what I think my calling on this earth is and I mean going to Uganda would be a great thing, curing cancer would be a phenomenal thing but I think most often calling is just actually a lot more simple than that calling is just to the people that are most close to us we often don't have to go very far because honestly, where we live, there's lots of need right here. I, I kinda sending missionaries from Canada to other places is no longer making sense to me. I feel like we need missions here so desperately, so badly. People are are, are wrapped up in some really, really tough things, substances and, and battles in their mind and, and, and anxiety and depression and suicide. And so often The calling is to those who are most close to us. And it starts with the ones that are right in our inner sphere. um, To love our husband or our wife. To love uh, love and lead our children. Uh, To witness in school and college when you got sat down beside that person in that class who is agnostic. I don't think that was by chance. I think the Lord wants you to talk to that person. Uh, I think he wants us to witness at work. I, I definitely think he wants us to serve at church. This place does not happen without many hands making the work happen. And so I know that he, I know that he wants people here. He wants people serving. That's, that's, uh, that's part of our calling. And uh, so personally, I had to th- sit down and think, do I know what I'm called to do? And I, it wasn't all that difficult for me because I do think about purpose quite frequently. But I, th- I think my purpose is, is for me to, to love my wife, I, and just as the Bible says, to serve and to lay down my life for her. And I, and I think I, I'm supposed to lead my children well with uh, training them and teaching them and disciplining, disciplining them as often as it's difficult. And I, and I feel like I'm called to lead in, in church. I, I want to I pastor, and I want to pray for people, I want to teach people. I, th- I think that's part of my calling. And then the, lastly, the, the, the witnessing at work, that is That is where I go i mean we 're only here for an hour and a half, two hours as I go about my business i 'm usually out of the house more than i 'm in the house during the weekdays there 's people out there who actually are like really desperately needing what I want what I have uh, there's like there 's living water that is rushing out of me, and there 's people that are walking around with dry bones and they 're just they 're just wondering what is wrong with their life, and that 's what they need from you so I would say that that my calling is is not that far off from really any of your callings, it obviously just tweak some, uh, tweak it a bit here and there, it's just semantics. But our callings are very similar, and uh, I have a problem, and uh, that that holds me back from that. Um, I I struggle with pleasing people. I like to please people. I don't know if any of you, any of you people pleaser, are brave enough to raise your hand. Do you? You're, yeah. Or m- maybe the ones that just raise your hands. We're just doing that to make me feel better. If you did, you're a people pleaser, okay? <laughs> and it might not, it might not uh, come out of you the same way, but I struggle when someone says, yeah, but what about this? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's, yeah. That's a terrible idea, but let's try it. You know? It's, it's, and sometimes I, I guess sometimes I like to see the wheels fall off of it, like specifically at work. and be like, we could try that. And it costs us $50 of material in an hour, But you'll learn your lesson. But the truth is is that sometimes I say yes to things that I don't want to say yes to. Often I do that. And so this is a problem for me. i got to tell you that the Lord has identified something in me that resonated with me, that caused me to realize I needed to revamp my life. And that is that people-pleasing is a form of idolatry you would have never thought it was. Maybe you just thought it was like, you just trying to really do everything for people and just help them and do things for them. But what you're actually doing is you're putting it up like an idol when you really you should be just running after the Lord and serving Him and saying, Lord, what's next? Lord, what's next? And if it happens to be going to help someone, that's that's great. Well, people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. and uh, And so calling clarifies. Once you uh, once you start to, to wrap yourself up in your calling, it clarifies and, uh, and a lot of people have a plan for your time. Did you know that? Or maybe sometimes you feel like it's like a bunch of little piranhas just picking your time and at the end there's this little skeleton left and it's like, this is what I have left for me so what am i am going to do with this? You know, people are always wanting your time. You know, I preached a message once that time is money and I, I genuinely believe that they're a very similar thing. There's a, there's a transfer Transfer that happens between time and money, it's the same way with your money. It seems like everything's just like grabbing at your money, trying to take it away. Time, and money, that same principles apply. Um, but calling clarifies. It helps you to realize that you can't save everyone. You can't meet with everyone. You can't do everything. But you know what I can do? I definitely can love my wife. I can definitely teach and love my children. And I can serve in this church. Those are things that I definitely can do. Um, So let's just talk about what does every controlling person have in common? They all have something in common. They They try to control people. Yeah, besides that, they have something else in common. And it is that every controlling person has someone who allows it. Because if you try to control someone... And they won't talk to you and they turn your back, their back on you and walks away. It's really hard to control them unless physically. <laughs> like I guess Carlisle could control me right now if he really wanted me to, to dance. He could just come up here. But the, the truth is, is that every controlling person has someone who allows it. The person who does the controlling definitely has a problem. Okay, so that's one category. Maybe you're in that category. But so do the rest of us if we consistently allow it to happen. We don't live in communist China, we have police systems that will allow you to remove yourself from people if you would like. There is no one that is controlling you that has the power to control you that you have not already given to them. That's something you gave to them. So first point, clarify what you're called to. And then second point is, is to know, to identify when someone is trying to control you. It's not always as obvious as you think it is. If you look at the Bible. When, uh, whenever Lucifer was coming around. And he was trying to control people. He did it like super sneaky. And he's still around. He's still doing that same thing. To us. Through other people. It's tricky. And uh, they call it deception. And it's like it, it sneaks in. And it, it grows small. And it starts as maybe a little seed. And then it grows. And all of a sudden you realize that you're in bondage. So know and identify when someone is trying to control you. Listen to this. Jesus says, this is what I must do in Matthew 16. He said, this is what I must do. And it was God's will and I'm going to give my life, I'm going to be raised. And then Peter essentially stands Jesus down. To Peter, uh, 100% man stands Jesus, 100% man, 100% God down and says, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Never, Lord. Okay, so I want to ask you some questions. Was Peter the worst guy that ever lived? No, I don't think so. Uh, Did he hate Jesus? I'd say no. Uh, Did he have a plan to distract Jesus from saving people? I don't think so. And listen, moments before, Peter had just won Jesus Jeopardy, okay? So if you read the passage, it's a continuous thought. And what had happened was Jesus was playing a little game with them and saying, Who do you say that I am? First of all, he said, who who does the world say that I am? Okay, yada, yada. But then he said, listen, who do do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that answered. And he said, you're the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are blessed. So it's like, you just won. You just won Jesus' jeopardy. He said, people didn't reveal that to you. God revealed that to you. You were listening to God. And so listen, then after that, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, your name means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and hell will not prevail against it or overcome it, and I'm going to give you the keys to heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then immediately after, right after, the next, converse, the next thought that happens is Jesus says, good job, Peter. Now let, just let me tell you guys what's going to happen to me, and Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It seems like a, like a, what just happened? (laughs) Jesus is going to build his church on Peter and then get behind me. And then he calls him Satan. It's like a, it's a, it's a crazy amount of transition that happens in a very short uh, passage of scripture. Peter wasn't an evil man. Just like, perhaps the people that are trying to manipulate you. But in that moment, Peter was putting his plans in front of God's plans. He decided that his plan was better than God's. What happened? Peter was trying to control Jesus. Why did Peter try to control Jesus? If Peter fully understood Jesus' plan, I think he would have been on board so that it has to be that Peter didn't understand God's plan. At that point, he didn't understand it. He understand, understood who Jesus was. He got that right, but he did not understand the plan. He didn't understand Jesus' calling. And this will happen to you with controlling people. They'll, they'll see a strength or a talent in you. You've seen this in other people. You're like, man, that guy is good at this. That guy's got phenomenal talents in this area. We could use him in this ministry. And then they'll try to direct those strengths and talents for you. Often for their own purposes. Often unbeknowingly try to steer you. And these giftings were put in you for God's purposes and you have to recognize is when someone is trying to take you away from what you're called to do. You have to recognize that. You have to realize that this is the direction I'm going and someone is trying to pull me this way but Jesus told me to go this way. It's hard to do sometimes because they might be a good friend. They might be your parent. They might be maybe even your pastor. And so we need to recognize controlling or manip- manipulating behavior, threatening, guilt, isolating you from your friends, maybe even on the flip side, trying to get you to rescue them again. Like, ah, you know, I need your help again. They're trying to get you to meet needs that you were never designed to meet, which is really stressful, by the way. So number one, know your calling. Number two, know when someone's trying to call uh, to control you. And number three, you need to know when it's time to draw the line. I think very often we know when, that we know that we know when it's time to draw the line, but it, the truth is the line should have been draw, drawn a long time before that. There's already been a lot of damage and things have gone really sideways. So we need to get good at knowing when it's time. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's it's kind of fun to say, right? Sunday school kids, get behind me, Satan. It's kind of like a fun thing to say because you like whip it out once in a while when you know that they understand. They've been to Sunday school. If you say it to them, they won't be offended. And they're telling you not to do something you want to do. You can just be like, get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, maybe we can apply that to other areas of our life. Um, Maybe you have a grandma that is grouching about how you don't come and see her enough. And you just say, you know what, Grandma? I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. And then you just call her Satan. Do you think, Jesus did it? I don't think you should do that. Grandma's hearts are sometimes weak. The pacemaker will escalate. Things can get, get bad. Don't call your grandma Satan. Probably don't call your friend Satan. So just work with me for a minute. Imagine for a second if Jesus had struggled in the same way I've struggled in my life with being a people pleaser. Imagine, imagine if Jesus was codependent. Um, imagine if Jesus' identity was actually wrapped up in what Peter thought of him. So maybe P- Peter, Peter manipulates and he says, don't do it. Don't die. I'm not going to be your disciple anymore. Maybe turns his back and walks away. Or, or maybe, I won't talk to you anymore. I'm going to unfollow you on Instagram. I'm going to do a full meal deal. I'm going to get you. If Peter had done that, could you imagine Jesus just being like, okay, 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 okay. Like, I mean, he can rework the whole plan, maybe. He's God. Maybe he can figure it out. He's like, okay, that plan was for mankind. But you know what, Peter? Because you just won Jesus' Jeopardy. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do it your way. What do you want? Do you want, like, uh, no more signs and wonders? No more miracles? Uh, What do you want? Just whatever you want, I'll do it. Just tell me. Put it on paper. Away we go. What if Jesus was codependent and his identity was wrongly wrapped up in what Peter thought? Jesus would never do that. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where he would do that. I mean, maybe once someone changed his mind. It didn't happen very often. And I feel like he had already made up his mind when someone made him change. You know what I'm saying? He changed it because he wanted to. If you give control to a person, right at that moment, God is no longer in control. Someone else is. God is no longer directing you. Someone else is. What if there's someone that you love and care about? You might even, maybe you love and care about them, and maybe even they love and care about you. But in their dysfunction, they're distracting you from a higher calling and a higher purpose because you're idolizing what they think about you and you're forgetting about what God thinks about you. What if that's the case in your life? What is that what's the result for you? In that moment you have in mind the things of men and you don't have in mind the things of God. That's a problem. Maybe it's not sinful. I think it probably is, but maybe it's not even sinful, but it's a problem for you because your steps are going in the wrong direction. You're not going where he wants you to go. You're not doing what he wants you to do. Okay, so let's take a breath. Okay, so what do we do? How do we end this cycle when someone is controlling us? Um, How do we know when it's time to draw a line in the sand? How does that look? Do we run away? I've seen that, do that? Does it work? Not really. Seems to follow them. Do we sever the relationship? Maybe. Sometimes that's very necessary. But I think oftentimes not. The relationship has been built and there's still things of value left in it. So I wouldn't say we want to sever it. Let me suggest to you a thought and I know for some of us that through the power of Jesus Christ that this is going to free your mind. I know that this is going to this is going to unlock something for some of us in this room today. Open our minds, Lord. Open our hearts. Let him, him who has ears to hear, hear listen to what the Spirit of God is saying in this morning. Okay, so listen the relationships you have are a combination. So there's two things that are in a relationship they're a combination of what you've created and what you've allowed. Okay, so create the creation, the created part is kind of your half, and the allowed is kind of their half, and they have the yin yang of that on the other side. Okay, created, allowed, allowed, created. The relationships you have are a combination, and every relationship is this way. And I'll tell you that the relationships sometimes the amount of creation and and. Uh, uh, the amount that it's created and the amount that it's allowed, it kind of it goes up and down. And when, when your kids are really small, you're doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of the creating and not a lot of the allowing. And then as they become older, they become like peers to you maybe. And then all of a sudden that relationship is a little more 50-50, probably 51-49 for the rest of your life, right? So every relationship is this way. A marriage, parents, siblings, friends, coworkers, your boss, your kids. Every relationship is a, is a combination of, of what you have rightly and purposefully created and what you have passively allowed. Relationships have patterns. We create two different types of patterns. We create healthy ones and unhealthy ones. And I know that you think about your relationships. There's probably some that are healthy and then some that could use some work. It's true of every relationship that you have. It's true of the relationship of the person who drives you crazy at work or at family functions. You know exactly who they are as soon as they said it. It's true of the mother-in-law that's getting up in your business. This is not me. Okay, I'm not taking a stab at my mother-in-law. Just mother-in-laws, sometimes they like to come in and say, well, maybe you should do it this way. Okay, it is a little bit my mother But I love her. I love her. (laughs) You're supposed that you love. I know this is 50% of you in here. You're supposed that you love, and yet you just keep butting heads over and over and over again. And you can't understand why this person that you were so willing to commit your life to in front of a bunch of people in a church is now the person that you're like... I don't like what you're saying. I don't like how you're treating me. It doesn't make sense. The combination of what you created and allowed. Listen up. Here's the application. This is the, the sum total of the message. So this is what you need to know. If you don't like what you have, you gotta change two things. You have to change what you expect and what you accept. If you don't like what you have, you have to change what you expect And what you accept, you know when to draw a line in the sand. Jesus did this with Peter. Jesus loved Peter. He he was the greatest disciple for a few minutes. He'd won. He said, I'm gonna build my church on you. This disciple was good enough for Jesus to think, oh, you're a good foundation for my church. And then moments later, get behind me, Satan. No, that, wasn't appropriate. that was not appropriate. I'm not letting you and your desire take me away from what God planned for me to do. Not letting you do it. And it can be that sharp and it seems pretty awkward, especially in a group of people. I'm not sure if Jesus was still talking to Peter while they're off to the side, but some of those conversations are not easy. And they're going to hurt. How do we do this? I love you but that's not appropriate. I care about you, but you cannot talk to me that way. I know this is difficult because I love you, but I am not going to bail you out again. This is this is the last time. You can threaten me, you can guilt me, you can walk away from me, but because I care about our relationship, I'm not going to tolerate this. perfect example is the toddler at the store. So, those of you that have had kids that have come through those ages, when you take them to the store, when you get to the point where they're no longer in the in the little carrying seat and now they're out and running around and there's so many colorful things and amazing discoveries and they want to take some of the things out of the store with them, I have to say you know what, no, you can't have that, that's not good for you, it's too late you're going to be crazy on sugar if we give that to you right, you, you just can't have it and then the kid pouts, or he stomps, or he screams, or whatever he does. And just just a quick a quick lesson that, as you've learned over and over again, it's like, just don't give in, parents. Just don't give in. You give in. You taught him that that was going to work. But, I mean, even good parents, after 20 minutes of them just being crazy, you finally, like, give it to them, and then you go down to their ear and be like, you just wait until we get home. You are in so much trouble. I hope you enjoy this lollipop. And and then you get up, you're like, I see, uh, I'm a good parent. I fixed it. And then later on, you really fix it. (laughs) That might happen, because he's being a little terrorist, and he's messing up your grocery run. And you forgot something. Probably the most important thing. Probably forgot the can of tuna fish. It's like the, it's the most important thing, right? You tell them I expect more, and I'm not going to accept that. This is how we love someone is trying to, to control us. I care about you, but you can't yell at me. I love you, but I won't allow you to threaten me. I'm going to accept. I, I'm not going to accept the guilt that you're trying to put on me. I am going to love you consistently, the same. I'm going to keep loving you the same way with these parameters around it. So when you do this, and maybe you never have, and maybe you're thinking there's some relationships that you would like to do this with, when you do this, I, I know what's going to happen. And, uh, and what's going to happen is the controller is going to kind of rear up a little bit and be like, wait a second, we had this all figured out. Now you're changing the rules of the game. It's, it's something that happens and well, maybe they'll even double down on their dysfunctional behavior. They'll, they'll threaten more. They'll guilt more. They'll hit, them, hit you with both barrels. And you almost want to think, you know what, maybe, okay, never mind, never mind. We can keep doing what we're doing. But the truth is, you need to just keep on with it. Because in these relationships, it's always going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be a hard conversation before it can get better. But I, what I, what I want to give you hope of is that there is a much better more functioning relationship on the other side of that conversation that is is way more worth it. You don't want to keep walking in dysfunction. You don't want to continue to, to be controlled. You don't want someone in their selfish desires to take you away from the very will of God for your life. You don't want that. Does it hurt? Yeah. But we have to love them enough to know when it's time to draw the line and move on to something better. Okay, we're getting close to the end, but I I just want to shift gears here a little bit. Let's get real for a minute. So it is, we've been kind of bashing on controlling people for a while. And yeah, maybe that was some of us anyways. And we're like, okay, we get it. We get it. Okay. But let's let's just flip this. It's really easy to point out others that want to control us. Uh, and I'm far too often that very, perp- that, that, that very person. Uh, many of us battle with that very thing of trying to, to control people. And you're not not doing it because you don't like them. You're doing it because you love them. And in and, and, I don't know if you've heard this verse, but it's in Mehemiah. Have you ever heard of the book Mehemiah? Mehemiah 2911. For I know the plans I have for you, says me. I have great plans for you, Paul. Do you believe it? They are pretty good plans. I think that, I think I could probably give you some direction and just send you on your way. But you know what I know? God's plans are like way better. My plans are terrible most of the time. Unless God's in it. They just don't really work out always the way I planned. But I really like to go after people and say, this is what you need to fix your life. And then it kind of turns into a, a control dance. It's like, this is what you need to do. And then this is what you need to do. Happens more often with my wife and my kids than it does with other people. I am a control freak. you probably heard that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, I can relate to that. I love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. I do. <laughs> Did you say amen? No, she didn't. <laughs> My kids aren't here, but they would have been, Amen. He has a plan for us. Anyone who's in relationship with me can say amen. And I understand and accept why Pastor Trav and Amy decided that this was something that I need to preach to you guys on. Because <laughs> it's a struggle. I like things a certain way. Like borderline OCD tendencies. I like it this way. Do it this way. All my apprentices would definitely say amen. I want those around me to do what I want them to do, well, and the reason is is that I like to play God, and uh, in their lives. And actually, there was one apprentice I had where I said, "Listen, this is how your life is going to go if you make these choices. By the time you're this age, you'll be a journeyman. You'll have enough money for a down payment on a house, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I did this with him, and the plan worked. But I guarantee you, it was God's plan, not my plan. I remember just being like, I'm going to live vicariously through you and do exactly what I should have done when I was younger. Trying to control people. I like to play God. And sometimes it works. But you know who who, who else liked to play God? Does anybody know? Satan. Yes. Satan likes to play God. And actually, he got the boot from heaven for it. He thought he could do it better. He thought He thought he could be God. So he tried and he realized that God's God, he's not God. And so now he goes around being a little god, a little G trying to mess around with us. It's like a weak version of a god. It's like Loki just playing tricks on people. Kind of a is that is that your like Loki. It's from the Marvel movies if you're not understanding what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you. Which is why Jesus told Peter, get behind me Satan when he was trying to control him. Notice that? He called him Satan right when he was trying to control him. The problem is, I don't make a good God any more than Satan makes a good God. Any more than Peter makes a good God. And wait for it, any more than you make a good God. You're not a good God. Sorry, you're just not. It's hard for me to say with my people pleasing tendencies, but you're not good gods. You're just not. Think about this no matter how many threats you make, no matter, no matter how much guilt you throw someone's way, do you have the power to change your spouse? I was sure I did. But I can tell you through 16 years of marriage, is that how long we've been married? 16 years. I do not have the power to change that woman. Does God have the power to change her? Yes. Okay. Okay, so, do you have the ability to control your kid's future? This one's trickier. Do you? You don't. You don't. Because parents, because really good, faithful, church-going, spirit-led parents have some kids that are not following him. And the Bible says, "Train up a child in the way that they will go, and they will not depart from it." Well, sometimes they depart from it for a while. I, I'm still believing that word's true, and they're going to come back. But you don't have the you don't have the power to control your your kid's future. Does God have the ability to open doors and to close doors and to direct your children? He does. God has that ability. Do you have the ability to, uh, do you have the power to manipulate, threaten, guilt someone into overcoming addiction? Do you? I don't think you do. Maybe that's why these 12-step programs cannot get away from having the, the, the people that are going through their systems call on a higher power. Because they realize that, that I can't do this and the person standing at the front of the classroom can't do this. I need something more. I need to look to a higher power to change. Does God have the power through uh, through through the power of Jesus Christ? Does he have the ability to transform? The old is gone. The new has come. Does he have the ability to set them free? He does. He does. Cold turkey, st- get right off what they're on. Maybe they're going to... The, the nurses are saying, you should continue on these drugs for a while and wean yourself off because you will die through the power of Jesus Christ. That stuff can just be knocked off of them and they can be free in Jesus' name right that day. God has the power. And that's why Jesus, right after correcting Peter, right after he calls him Satan, I mean, that was a low blow, right? What does he say right after? It says that he turned to his disciples and he said if any of you wants to be my follower he must give up his own way. Must give up his own way. In other words you don't get to be your own God anymore. And just like I'm going to give up my life and God is going to raise me up and, and you too are going to have to do it. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Essentially, what Jesus was saying was this. If you want to follow Jesus, you will never, ever be in control ever again. And put it that way, it's like, well, wait a sec, maybe I don't really want this. I like being in control. That's not how it works. We were once a slave to sin. And now we're servants to Jesus. We don't take control anymore. We take the we take the passenger seat. We're his co-pilot. He's taking us on a ride. Cuz from that moment on it's not about your will but it's about his will. So the first question is do you believe in him? And maybe you do and maybe you don't. And that's a place where you need to to get to where you say, I don't even know if I believe in him. Well, you just keep coming and listening I promise you the truth will set it'll settle into you that he's real God's real and uh, and he actually really does have a, a great plan for your life and there are plans to prosper you and not harm you plans to give you a hope and a future so great you believe in him but, but let's just poke your heart a little bit this morning and say do you actually trust in him do you trust him Sometimes I'm a pretty anxious person. And I've started to realize that the root of anxiety I thought was maybe fear. I wasn't really sure what the root of it was. I think I've gotten to the root of it and I think it's trust. I think it's, I just don't trust them. I don't, I don't trust that God's going to come through. And maybe I don't trust that people are going to come through. And rightly so, I suppose, most of the time people often don't come through. But God always comes through. He never has left me. He's never forsaken me. So what's there to be anxious about? He's with me. Anytime we allow someone to control us, and anytime we attempt to control someone else, we are distracted from God's plan, from his call and from his will. Would you just take a moment with me? Would you just close your eyes? I just want to focus on God intently. I'm not going to do anything weird. I just want us to close our eyes and listen to what he's saying to us. Maybe you're the one that's being controlled. Or maybe you're the one that has been doing the controlling. Maybe your eyes have just been opened to that today. Oh, I didn't even realize that I was doing that. Oh, I didn't even realize that someone was doing that to me. And your eyes have been open this morning. More than likely, there's a good chance that all of us are in both categories in some way shape or form and I just want to ask God collectively for freedom in this area God I just pray for the each and every one of us in here as we, as we turn our eyes to you this morning Lord as we say there's things in our lives that we don't really want there to be anymore there's hurts, there's uh, tendencies there's past there's bondage, there's chains. I don't want those things in my life anymore. Lord, would you remove those things from us this morning? Would you take them away? You said that you would take our burdens, so we just cast them at the feet of the cross this morning, Lord. Take those burdens. Would you break any bondage and when you would you free up any chains that are on us? Would you set us free in the area of control? Would you instill in us a new level of trust? Lord, we trust you. We trust you, God. We trust that you have the very best things in mind for us, Lord. We trust that you have the very best plans for us, Lord. And we choose to walk in that. No longer our own ways, but your ways, Lord. No longer the ways of someone that's Uh, Whispering in our ear how we should be doing it, Lord, but your way, Lord. Turn our focus to you this morning. Amen. That's how simple it is. If you prayed that prayer in your heart today, you are free. And I've had it where sometimes things come back and they keep attacking me and maybe that's something that in your life that you're struggling with and it's it might come back but you just keep keep on that thing you keep rebuking that thing and through the power of Jesus and his holy Spirit he's going to cause there to be change that's going to unwrap in your life and maybe there's some hard conversations you have to have with people that are around you but I guarantee you that the hard conversations are worth it they're worth it because you're not limping in a relationship that is dysfunctional And you can truly love one another without that barrier between you and someone else in a relationship. Well, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.